time for another edition of Pats from the Past podcast. Matt Smith alongside with Paul Perillo, and we are pleased to be joined by number 51 on your scorecard, but number one in our hearts, Gerard Mayo. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, Gerard. Really appreciate it. You know, we normally, when there's an audience of Patriot fans, and that's who's listening to this, and you get somebody like a Kevin Flock, people don't necessarily know what he's up to these days. Yep. I think most Patriot fans know what Gerard Mayo's up to these <laughs> days. Do you like it? Oh, I love it. I love it. You know, my I feel like my calling is just to develop people. And so whether we're talking about players, you know, to help them become someone that they never thought they could become or an entrepreneur, um, I just like developing people. And and that's I feel like I'm I'm in my calling right now. Did you know that you were going to get into that, you know, even as a player? Man, let me tell you, I always knew uh, I wanted to be around the game to a certain extent. Uh, when I when I first retired, uh, coach actually asked me to, asked me to coach, and I was like, nope, I need. A I break. remember that. Yeah, I, remember I was saying like, that. I need a break, and so that break was good, and that's when I went and worked in business for a few years. Uh, worked at Optum for three years, which was a great experience. Uh, I'm always looking for opportunities to be uncomfortable. Uh, you're never comfortable in this building, and, and so uh, it kind of called me back. And you know, Bill called me. He actually he actually convinced my wife first. Uh, to get me back into coach, well, to get me into coaching initially, and then my wife and Bill kind of put the pressure on me. Something about that position, the linebackers, Matt. Yeah. Right? You know, Mike Vrabel always talked about being a coach, wanting to be a coach. I know Teddy Bruschi has talked about it. He's you know uh, toys around a little bit at the yeah. high school level. What is it about the position? It's it's, it's so, so you guys are smarter than everybody else. Right? Is that, is that, <laughs> uh, you is that know it? what? I I think so, honestly. <laughs> um, you know, obviously on the offensive side, you can say either quarterback or center. But, you know, when you think about the linebacker position, you know, they have to tie everyone together. They have to tie the back end to the front end. And we've been fortunate enough, you know, around here in New England to have, you know, great linebackers. You know, before me, you mentioned a few, you know, Teddy Bruschi, Mike Vrabel. Those guys did a great job passing the torch off to me. Um, and I feel like I did a good job passing the torch off to a guy like Dante Hightower who, you know, they've, they've kept, you know, kept the tradition going. So, you know, I think when we talk to a lot of people who played in your era, Gerard, and say, hey, have any interest in being a coach and everything? Hell no. They can't <laughs> the pay hours. me enough because yeah, the hours. you've got a young family. You certainly was much younger when you started than it is now. It's a grind, man. That had to be part of, you know, if you're not all in, how could you do this? That had to be at least a significant point of your decision making. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't coach if I didn't feel like I had the support of my wife and kids. And so it is a grind. And you know, in saying that, though, I would say my family they enjoy the process. They enjoy, you know, coming out to training camp. They enjoy going to the games, and they understand I'm doing it. You know, with a with a larger goal in mind. Um, you know, with that being said, there's, there's nothing else that really gets my blood pressure up than going out, you know, in a good way is to go out on the field, you know, in the practice field um, and just getting guys better. So that's why I do it. My family supports me 100 percent. And, you know, I have a good time doing it. And you talked about, uh, you know, Brewski and Rabel sort of laying the groundwork for you. And I'm just curious, uh, you know, Matt and I were talking before we started just how quickly you became one of those guys. Like it, it didn't seem like there was any transition at all for a rookie and you were kind of like, you know, Gerard Belichick right away. Like, how, like how did that happen so, so fast? I remember yeah. Brady said, you know, oh, you mean Gerard Belichick? Like, oh, you yeah. mean Gerard Belichick? Kevin, fuck. Oh, Gerard Belichick. That was your rookie year. Yeah. You know, honestly, it just comes down to, I think Bill enjoys the company of people who enjoy football. 
and not really what football has to offer. You know, obviously a lot of the players they get paid a lot of money. You know, they can get in front of the you know in front of the line at the clubs early. But if you love football, like if you love just to study the game, whether it's offense, defense, or special teams, then you have a good relationship with Bill and. You know, all of those guys, honestly, when I came in, I just wanted to be a sponge and learn as much as, as possible. The year prior, they won every game but one, the Super Bowl. And so I wasn't coming into a, an organization, even though I was a top 10 pick, I wasn't coming into an organization where, you know, there it's a whole overhaul of the team. We had a bunch of leaders on that team. You know, Rodney was on that team. Uh, Randy Moss, Tom Brady, Vrabel, Vince Wilfork, Ty Warren, all the, you know, Richard Seymour. I mean, that team was loaded. And so for me to come in, it was more like, all right, let me just learn from everyone else and not say anything unless I have to. Uh, but I will say this. The reason I, I, I would say I gained, I gained the respect of the players is because I would go in there when Bill was on the computer and ask him, hey, man, the guys are tired. You know, we don't want to be in pads today. And, you know, that not, rookie initiation, <laughs> rookie initiation. No, no one really wanted to go in there. Right. Because, I mean, Bill, Bill's a tough guy. <laughs> and so for me, my, my I was always raised, you know, if the worst thing someone could say to me is no, then go ask. And so I would go in there and I would say, you know, I always joked around. I was batting 300 at the time. I'm batting, you know, 250, 400 at the time because I would go in there and sometimes, you know, the request would be granted. <laughs> and then other times he'd be like, hey, get out of here. But when I would go back in the locker room and tell guys, you know, we're not in pads today. It was like a celebration and like literally like picking me up on their shoulders. It's like this guy went into the fire, went to the dragons, the dragon's lair and asked for something and got it. And so that's how the nickname, you know, Gerard Belichick and all those things started to come up. But I think the guys really realized that I cared more about them than, than myself, than my ego or anything like that. Like I didn't care about getting cussed out. Even to this day, you know, I get cussed out. It's like, all right, whatever. Do you think that, that you gained a little respect maybe from Bill? Like, who's this rookie that's coming in that's asking me, you know, can we not practice in pads this afternoon? Like, that's that's Rabel's job. That's Brew's job. Yeah. This rookie's coming in and doing it. Did you gain a little respect? I think, think so. I, I think so. And I would say even now to this day, I feel like, you know, I tell Bill – I still call him coach, but for the purposes of this, I, you know – I tell Bill what it is. Like, this is what it is. I don't sit there and agree with everything he has to say. Um, and he doesn't agree with everything I have to say. I, there's a mutual respect there where, you know, I see things a little bit differently. And when we talk about diversity, um, not trying to segue or, or jump ahead, but when we talk about diversity, most of the time people only talk about, you know, black and white or they, they talk about skin color. But there's also – you know, diversity of thought. There's also generational diversity. And I think those things oftentimes get missed uh, when people really talk about diversity. And I think Bill's done a good job uh, getting guys around him that can relate more to the players because, not, you know, he's not getting any younger. He's getting older. But at the same time, we're carrying the flag and carrying all the things that uh, he's instilled in, in us as coaches and me as a player uh, prior but, uh, you know, we're trying to disseminate that message to the rest of the guys. You know, we, you brought up, uh, you know, your draft. And we're, as we're recording this, it's draft weekend. Uh, just I any thoughts uh, or memories of what draft night was like for you? Yeah, draft night. Yeah, draft night for me was it was great. Um, you know, I didn't go to the draft. Um, I were was you with, invited? I wasn't even invited. Back then, they only invited, like, the top, you know, three or four. I wouldn't have gone anyway. Okay. Um, I'm more of a... I want to be around my family with things like that. And so I was in Virginia with my mom and my grandparents and my brothers, my uncle, you know, and 
we were out there. I was raking leaves with my mom. I was raking leaves outside. And so my brothers, you know, when we get together, we rarely get together. But when we all get together, we like to have a drink or two. And so one of my brothers, he was like, all right, we're going to do a shot. Every pick that goes by that you're not picked. And so I was like, whoa. Thank God you didn't go 20th. Yeah, I know. (laughs) If I would have went 20th, I wouldn't be here today. And so, and that's why I don't drink Patron to this day now because we were drinking Patron and I was the 10th overall pick. So you do the math. Um, You know, it was a good time, though. It was a celebration. You know, there are a lot of tears because, honestly, you know, these are things you think about when you're a a five-, six-year-old kid, like especially where I'm from. Um, you know, you don't really see too many people just get out of there. And even though in Virginia we have a lot of professional athletes, but, you know, per capita, mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, it's tough. And, like, there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that go into it, you know, to any dream. And then when you're finally able to realize that dream, it, it's it's a very special moment. The hard part after that is resetting it, right? So now you get, you know, you accomplish your goal, you accomplish your dream. Now you got to move the flag stick, right? We got to move it again. Now what's the next dream? And so that's kind of how I think about it. Did you have any inkling that the Patriots were interested in you? Um, I had a little inkling because, <laughs> so funny story, I wasn't even coming here on a, on a 30 visit mm-hmm. initially. And I was on my way to another team. I won't say the name of the team, but it's a, a huge rival. They wear green. But I was on the way. I was on the way. Rhymes uh, with Mets. <laughs> it rhymes <laughs> with Mets. I was on the way out there, and the Patriots called and said, hey, uh, you know, can he swing through here before he, you know, just real quick before he goes to New York. And uh, I ended up coming here, spending a lot of time with Matt Patricia and Dean Pease at the time. And then I was gone. And it was just that quick. You know, it was that quick. And. Uh, I went to New York, and the rest was history. That was the only thing, because when I went at the Combine, this was the weirdest weirdest Combine interview for me that I had. I had a lot of them as well coming out as an underclassman. But I went in the room, and you know everyone's in there. Bill wasn't in there, I don't believe. But no one said anything. So I go in the room. You remember how the, you know how the interview process works at the combine? Well, like, I've heard yeah. a little bit about it. Like they, you know, there's a blow horn that yeah. goes off in the hallway. It's a mad dash mad with dash. everybody that's going to everybody's room. That's right. And you get in there, and there's a clock. You're on the clock. You're on the clock. And the team's on the clock. That's right. And so I go, I go into the Patriots. So I, you know, this is right before. This is right after the Giants just won the Super Bowl. So I go. I, right. I visit with the Giants. They're having a party because <laughs> they they knew they weren't supposed to win that game either, right? So <laughs> like I go in their room and everyone's like dancing, like ah ha ha ha, like a whole bunch of laughing and things like that. And then I go to the Patriots room. And it's like stone cold, like silence for two minutes. Now, if you ever, if you ever just like set your clock to two minutes and don't say a word, it is a long time. It's uncomfortable. Or do a plank, do a right. plank for two minutes. Right. Like it is a very long time. Yeah. And no one, like you said, we're on the clock. So I'm sitting there, like I just introduced myself, and then no one asked me any questions. And so I'm like, all right, this is kind of weird. And then finally, we got into football, but I didn't know if they were trying to figure out like you know, what I was thinking or, you know, see how I dealt with uncomfortable situations. But that, I mean, I really didn't have, like, all right, the Patriots are really looking at me. I thought I was going to go to Denver, uh, Detroit, you know, teams like that. So, And they originally had the seventh pick. Yep. They traded down to ten. That's right. Did yeah. that, you know, sort of uh, put them more on the radar for you? Or, or uh, you still weren't really, really still thinking had, Patriots? Still, had, still wasn't thinking Patriots. You know, uh, it's crazy. You know, they trade back and still have a top ten pick. But uh, at the same time, still didn't really think about him. I thought I was going to go uh, at 12 to Denver, and then Detroit had 15. So 
Okay, so we're going to look at this now, Matt. So Go ahead. A, a 12 at Denver. Paul did the research. Was 12 Denver? Was 12, 12, Denver? 12 for Denver was pretty good. Ryan Clady. Ryan Clady, good yeah, tackle. He had, a, he had a really good career. Now, but if you go up that list, though, all right, let me let me do it. All right, go ahead. So see, that's Vernon, a, this Vernon? is why I wanted yeah. to do this because I wanted to see how in tune you were. Oh, with your, I was, with your draft I was, class. I was pissed because I, can I say that on the <laughs> of course? I, I was kind of pissed because uh, Vernon Golston went at six to the Jets. Okay, before you continue, I'm going to have to make a, a an admission. I was a big Vernon Goldstein guy in that draft, and man, was I wrong. Yeah. Well, not, he, not the first time. It won't be the last. Right. He he absolutely looked the part. Yeah. Absolutely. He was couldn't I mean, play. <laughs> he looked the part. Couldn't play. Right. Like they did everything. They had like Lawrence Taylor working with him yeah. at one point. It's right. like right. Nah, yeah. He went six, and then uh, Keith Rivers went at nine. Nine. Yeah. And so like when those two guys went, I was just like, man, you know, no no shot to those guys. I just. At that time, I had a little bit of confidence in my game, and I love football and I love studying guys. And you know, it is what it is. It all worked out. Did, do you mock? Did you follow the mock at that time? Like with yeah. agent and everything, going, "Hey, look, yeah. here's what we're hearing, Gerard. Uh, we think you're going in the top 10? Yeah. The funny thing is, the only person to get it right was uh, was Charlie Casserly. Like the day before the draft, who one of, gets it one wrong? of Bill's favorites. Who gets it wrong more than Charlie Casserly? <laughs> hey, he was the only one that got it right, though. Charlie Casserly got it right. Like me going to the Patriots, he added at seven and yeah. went at ten. This right. is a, it's a strange first round that, that yeah. this 2008 year because I think there are a lot of good players like you and yeah, Matt Ryan. And I, I, I mentioned uh, Clady, Matt yeah. Ryan, Joe Flacco. There's yeah. this good keep to leave. Yep, is part of this first round, and then there's some real busts. No doubt, it's like no in between. There's well, no like oh, but he was okay. Like, <laughs> like Goldstein because of the team yeah, magnifies I mean, it like a Glenn bit. Dorsey, Vernon Goldstein, De- Glenn you, Dorsey. You mentioned Keith Rivers. Yeah. Uh, you know this. Brandon Albert wasn't wasn't great. He uh, was okay though. Eh. He was decent. Rashad Mendenhall from right. Pittsburgh. There's there's a lot of like guys that, whoa, these are, these are first round picks. But you know there is some good talent here too. Dwayne Brown, Dwayne still Brown, playing, yeah, right? Virginia Tech. Yeah, and he, I would say there's a gold jacket in there though. And Matthew Slater. I'm putting it oh, out well, there now. Now we're going we going down in the fifth round. Yeah. I did write that down <laughs> in my notes. But another guy still playing, still, still going, still playing. And how long you been a coach now? Man, I'm going into my fourth year, so still going. And honestly, you know, I see Slate in there every single day. And like you talk about a guy who takes, you know, takes care of his body, uh, loves the game of football, loves actually loves special teams. Not like these other guys who, you know, they go on their visits and they're like, "Oh, I love special teams." Then you ask them like, "How many? I mean, how many snaps of special teams you have last year?" It's like, ah, oh, you know, coach didn't really want me on special teams. <laughs> but when you think about a guy like Slater. A guy who who's really been the glue for a long time around here. Like I feel like I was the bridge between. Like I only have one Super Bowl. Like I'm not complaining. I have one Super Bowl, but the bridge between that next generation, uh, you know, I was the bridge between you know myself and then Hightower and that whole world when they won. Uh, Slate's been through it, through you know through it since 2008, and he's still going. So when you really think about that, he's the glue, and I was just the bridge to go over there, but. You know, he's a, he's a Hall of Famer, in my opinion, a guy. You know, he doesn't go out there and play, you know, 30 snaps a game, but at the same time he makes a huge impact on the game. I, I would just want to follow up on that about Slater. And I think, I, I think I've heard RKK at least talk a little bit about this. In an organization with so many great players, like Teddy Bruschi really only um, – he only played for the Patriots, but as Bill said when he retired, the perfect Patriot. Mm-hmm. Guys like Troy Brown, Hall of Famers Richard Seymour, maybe the greatest to ever play the game in Tom Brady. Is there a better representative of what the Patriots stand for 
than Matthew Slater. I don't think so. I mean, I think that's a that's a great point. You know, he he embodies everything you want, not only as a player on the field, but also off the field, giving back to the community, also really caring about the guys, not as football players, but as men, and trying to mentor the next generation. And who knows when his last snap will be, you know, hopefully he continues to play just like Tom is doing. But you talk about a guy who's just an all-around great, you know, great man, a uh, man of God, and just a guy that I have no problem following. It's Matt Slater. Does he make you, and I don't mean necessarily uh, you, Gerard Mayo, but does he make the coaching staff's job a little bit easier knowing that you can lean on him? Hey, Slate, get this guy straight. You know, yeah, I don't have I don't have time to do it or however that goes, but you know you can rely on him to help keep that to make the messaging what it needs to be. Absolutely, and I would say you know that is, that's also done by committee, right? And so you also have a Devin McCourty, you know, mm-hmm. Devin McCourty of the world who's also able to do those things, and and Slate on the and then on the offensive side of the ball, you're gonna have some guys emerge here, right? Some guys emerge as far as you know. We don't usually talk a lot about leadership, but at the same time. You hope it happens organically and that guys will follow a particular individual. Most of the time that happens to be, you know, a linebacker or a quarterback. At the same time, it doesn't have to be. And so, you know, when I think about leadership, you know, sometimes people get slapped with the title of leader but really don't deserve it or people don't want to follow them. Uh, And coaching as well. So when you think about coaching, it's like, all right, if this guy's a coordinator, he's a good leader. That's not necessarily true. Or if this guy's a head coach, he's a good leader. That's not necessarily true. And so, like, to go, you know, to go into it with that assumption, I think, is, is, is crazy. At the same time, having a guy like, you know, bringing this back full circle, having a guy like, you know, Matt Slater and, and Devin McCourty and those leaders like that, I mean, they're second to none. So when you think back to that rookie year, um, you head into 08, you and Matthew, and, you know, what, first drive of the season, 10 minutes into the season, you know, Tom goes down. What would – do you remember yeah. sort of what was going through your mind? Like, this is supposed to be the, this is the guy that wins all these Super Bowls. <laughs> yeah. Now we're supposed to win, one, you know. Right. You know right. what? You know, personally speaking, um, it, you know, it hurt me a little bit. And I was just like, oh no, you know, the season's over. But once again, that team was so strong yeah. that the guys were like, doesn't matter. Next play, and we ended up winning eleven games that year. You know, with Matt Castle at the helm, but we had a bunch of good players, and that's where. I really learned that next man up mentality because people talk about next man up, but we kind of live it here. We live the whole, you know, whether it's a coach, whether it's a player, like next man up, be ready to go. And, you know, I try to prepare the guys like that. Like, it doesn't matter. I coach everyone. You know, I don't want to say I coach everyone the same. You know, I stole this quote, but I treat everyone fairly. I don't treat everyone the same. Like, I don't don't have to tell Hightower, like, yo, move over right here. But there are some younger players who are like, hey, you got to move over, get into this space. But you earn that. You earn that. And uh, But going back to that team, man, that team was loaded. You think about the guys who came off the bench on that team. You know, the Jarvis Greens of the world, even the Mike Wrights of the world, guys who had these these roles that – They'll never, you'll never hear about them as far as you know the impact that they had on the game. But when you think about just, this think about the defensive defensive front. All right, Ty Warren never made a Pro Bowl, right? But unbelievable defensive end, no mm-hmm. question. Vince Wilfork, young Vince Wilfork, unbelievable talent, always you know doubled on every single play. Richard Seymour at defensive end, the backers, myself and Bruski, and then Vrabel and then Dallas Thomas. Like that, that front alone. Then the back end, you had you know Brandon Merriweather, Rodney Harrison, and those guys. But 
that team, and that's only the defensive side of the ball. The right. offensive side of the ball as right. well is just crazy. Right. And so, you know, I look back on that team and I'm just like, wow. And then I look at the 2019 defense where we had a, a very good defense that year as well. And I always think about the differences between those two defenses. Hmm. And even though they both were very good, they you know did a lot of good things. In 2019, we had a very good defense. You know, the boogeyman were going and, you know, we made a bunch of plays. But then I look at the front, you, you know, everyone's like, how were you rookie of the year in 2008? It had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with no one knew who I was. Right, they just knew I was a top ten pick, and we have all these beasts around them. Right, and so I was able to go out there and really just free flow. You know what I remember about that 2008 team, and I'm sure you've heard it, is um, Belichick's busting your balls in San Jose yeah. uh, during warmups, and he's asking you why you have two trucks. <laughs> right, right, yeah. And and Moss is sitting there going, first round money, first round money." <laughs> That's right. And I just remember going. Wow, like here's Bill busting your balls no as doubt. a rookie and everything like that. <laughs> that to me really sort of said, you know, that you're in a different relationship at that point. And you were probably, I don't know, 12 games in or something like that yeah. in San Jose between playing, I think it was between the Seattle and the Raiders West Coast trips out there. Yep. And we had a San Fran, we had two West Coast trips. Two of those. San yeah. Diego and San Francisco. Yeah, that's right. But I remember that and going, that's pretty interesting that that here's this legendary head coach and he's busting this rookie's balls <laughs> and but you it was yeah. it was normal no doubt and I would say the thing about Bill you know uh, an interesting thing out there I got benched going against San Fran on third down because he put me in a position like I'm out there on third down and I was messing up some calls he's like you know forget it you're not even playing on third down but I didn't look at that as like a slap in the face obviously when you get benched it, it hurts at the time. But that benching really made me into the player that I was because it was like, well, I'm not as good as I really think I am. And so, like, the way he's able to get the most out of players, the way he's able to, uh, you know, pull a lever here and there to get a guy to respond, everyone's, everyone's different as far as what makes them tick, right? So some people, uh, you know, intrinsic versus extrinsic motivators, right? So extrinsic being like the money and all that stuff, you know, a pat on the back. The intrinsic motivator is like, I'm just disappointed in myself. Like, you know, getting a, get, we call them attaboys. Getting an attaboy from Bill was like, it was huge because he didn't just pat you on your back for doing your job. And we always talk about do your job. If you're just out there doing your job and you make the tackle, make a sack, you're doing your job, he's not patting you on your back. Because right? it's expected. It's expected. And so, like, it's just different. And, and we've had, we've had vets come to this team and, you know, multiple vets come to me and like, man, you know, I'm out here making plays and Bill's not saying anything to me. I'm like, bro, just pump your <laughs> brakes. That's not how it, you know, that's not how it operates here. And so now when I look at the generation coming in, it's almost like, wow, all these kids get pats on the back the entire time. And so when that's they come they in, grow up. that's how they grow up. Right. So whether it's, you know, AAU and then college and especially with the transfer portal now, kids can mm -hmm. just like bounce around. If they're not playing, bounce around. And really that's like, I don't think that's, you know, when I talk to my kids, I don't want them to run away or shy away from from, from adversity. Yeah. Right. Like that can't be your first option. Like I'm leaving. And I know everyone has their own reasons and doing things like that. But at the same time, you only grow through pain. And so when I talk about that, I'm not talking about just physical pain. I'm talking about emotional and mental pain as well. That's how you get stronger and build the mental dexterity. That's how you get, you know, you, you, your, your muscles don't grow unless they're sore the next morning, 
right? If you go and work out, if you go and work out, if your biceps aren't sore the next morning, you didn't do enough. The same thing with your mind, right? Like if you come in there and you haven't really pushed yourself or put yourself in an, an uncomfortable situation, like every single day, like how can you expect to grow? It's just not gonna happen. If you're just sitting there doing so the true. same thing over and over and over again, like, I mean, it's tough. That's why I was talking about like imposter syndrome, always feeling like you're not good enough because that's what really, that's what really gets me going and hopefully it gets the guys going where you always feel like you're not good enough and so I have to do more, I have to do extra. I love the attaboy stuff. I remember Bill at a press conference. It was a hundred years ago. I don't remember when, what year, but like, yeah, we're not really big on positive reinforcement. <laughs> it was like one of those. Someone had asked him, you know, yeah. a question about that. Maybe it was from a player. Yeah. And maybe that's what sparked the the reporter to ask the question. Said, yeah, we're not we're not really big on that around here, <laughs> yeah, and that not. that falls right in line with what you're talking about. The the three down. You know, you talked about sort of losing some time on third down. How was that role? changed or is it changing with linebackers do you see as many guys that can play on three downs or less guys uh, coming out of college and do you expect it as one who did like like i did it why can't you <laughs> you know you i know think, what i mean yeah i think i think there are still players out there that have the ability to play on third down you know in saying that i would say a lot of these kids coming out of college just aren't being taught like some like the some things that we consider basic, basic. uh at the professional level um, no shot to the kids or the programs around around the country is just that they're not being taught. Now, as far as, you know, the game has obviously started to expand horizontally, right? So now it's like spread, more spread, mm -hmm. especially in the college ranks, and some of that stuff's starting to leak over into the NFL. So I look at it as this. If a guy can run, all right, if a guy can run and stop, because that's another important thing, right? If you can't stop, that's a problem. Uh, then I'll work with you, and you have the ability to do it. Now, if you have the want to and the ability, we got to go out there and actually, you know, sharpen our sword each and every day. But going back to your point, I think there are two different buckets. Like if you play linebacker on third down, either you can cover someone or you can rush. A la, you know, Dante Hightower playing, you know, in that buck role as a floater, mm -hmm. right? Just float mm -hmm. around as that fourth uh, fourth lineman. And and so I think this year, though, I think. You know, just thinking about the guys that we have in the room, we have some guys that can rush and cover. And so we have, you know, some guys that, you know, Pat's Nation, they, they haven't even heard of probably. Exactly. Right? Who's and so, Cam Who's Cameron Grown? That's right. And so right? that, and that to me is the exciting part. Absolutely. Right? And that is the exciting part, the unknown. And we're going to go into it as a unit. We're going to go into it together. And I would say, you know, even right now, not having some of those older guys in the room is beneficial for the younger guys because the older guys will be bored out of their minds with some of the things we're talking about. At the same time, it's forcing the younger guys to really take that step forward and really grow and develop without being hindered by any other, uh, any other guy's experience. When you became an older guy, were you ever bored in the room? Oh, absolutely. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's human nature, but I guess I would never, I wouldn't have guessed that, that maybe you did a good job faking it. No, no, I would say this. I became more involved in the game planning and I became more involved in what was actually happening on the field as a player. And so, you know, whether it was Matty P or, you know, Pat Graham or Flo, whoever it was, like we would have conversations, one-on-one -on -one conversations, so I didn't get bored. And so you we got your you juice know. in different places. Exactly. Yeah. I got it in different places. Now, I was never disrespectful in the meetings or anything. I've fallen asleep or anything like that in the meetings. At the same time, like, I want to get into the nitty gritty. I want to know the why. And so when a player's like, or, you know, when I got into coaching, 
You know, people were like, you know, this guy, it was always a negative. This guy asked so many questions. And I'm like, no, that's a good thing. I want these guys to understand the why, why we're doing it, why I want you to do it this way. Now, I always tell them, you know, sports and, and sports, and I would say football in particular is a very uh, iterative sport. Like you have to go out there and try things. And so I'm not saying to go out in the game and try things, but during this time, during the spring, during training camp, like this is how I want you to do it. But if you're hard-headed and want to try it that way, go out there and try it and see what happens. Now, you can make a play here and there, but at the end of the day, like we're trying to make as many plays as possible, and hopefully we come to some common ground. I'm not a guy who's stuck in my ways. I'm not static. I'm always looking for ways to grow. Even when I'm talking to these college kids, like virtually, I'm like, so what did, what did you guys call this? Right? I'm, I'm trying to listen to these guys and try to pick up a few nuggets as well because I'm not sitting here saying, like, I have all the answers. I know I don't. Or that even Bill has all the answers, and I think he knows he doesn't have all the answers, which is a, which is a good thing. And I think just learning from you know, other people outside this building is always beneficial. So, so you, go ahead, I, Paul. Just getting to that, you know, not, not being set in your ways – you talked about maybe some of the changes in the game, you know, more ho- horizontally, yeah. uh, spreading out. Have you seen a difference in the linebackers themselves, the size of the linebackers? We, there's a lot of talk about the Georgia kids, and I'm not putting you on the spot yeah. about, you know, what what the draft is going to unfold over yep. the weekend. But you would never would have thought of a 225, 230-pound guy being able to play on in the inside in the NFL. That's right. You'd have laughed at that That's when, right. when you were coming out. That's right. Do you see that change? Is it is it something that is happening, or is it something that is just a fact? I, I think you're spot on. I think you're spot on. I think where where people get in trouble, I think good teams, and I, I'll use the Titans as an example, like that's almost a contrarian way of playing offense in today's world by having the fullback in there, by right. having a big running back. And so it's all good to have small backers that can run and do all this stuff when you're playing against spread offenses. Right. It's like, all right, now what happens when it's January in Buffalo or January in you know, wherever, and they're going to run the ball 50 times with a 250-pound running back? Like you have to have some answer to that. So I think, you know, the answer is to have a combination of, you know, bigger guys and also small guys that can run. And, you know, we say it all the time. We're a game plan defense. We change each and every week. And, uh, you know, should have changed for that Buffalo playoff game, but that's either here or there. Okay, so you're talking about you're talking about difference of opinion, and we're going to try things a different way. I want to take you back to the Super Bowl you lost, and I have a follow-up question about that. But how against the grain is it? because I'm going to assume that this happened. I think that's what it certainly looked yeah. like to the lay people. Hey, Gerard, we're going to let him score on this play. How difficult is that as yeah. a player whose job it is to stop them? Yeah. How difficult is that from a – you're just not brought up to do that. That's right. But I would say here we talk about situational football more than a lot of other places. And the reason I know that is because when guys come here, they have no clue what we're talking about. And we had, you know, that situation in particular, like we talk about that when there's no stress. So when there is stress, it's not like, why are we doing this? Right. It's like, all right, we've talked about this in a low stress environment. So when we get into a high stress environment, it's not a huge panic attack on the sideline. But it's tough. It's tough to do that. But you also have to understand, like, we're trying to win the game. Right. At the end of the day, we're trying to win the game. If that's letting them score, then, I mean, that's what you got to do. Does that loss – does that loss still bother you? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, but honestly, when I when I think about that team, like we weren't even even really supposed to be there. Right. 
Like we probably I weren't agree. the best. We were not the best team. In you the lost AFC. to the you lost to the Giants at home that year. <laughs> that's right. Right, and that's a, like the, yeah, in the, a similar kind of game. You know, last second drive. I'm not a. Uh, I, I don't know anything about point spreads or anything like that. But I remember like going into the game and the Patriots were a touchdown favorite. I'm going, wait a minute. Yeah. Didn't the Giants beat that. the Patriots in the wing? Like how are they? How are they such the, an underdog? The thing that hurt about that game is we had opportunities. Yeah. To win the game as. You know, as you know, we were in a but I would say we were a good team, just yeah. not a, we weren't a great team. Like I've been, you were a good team. I, we're a good team, and you know we had opportunities. Whether it was the cover two, you know, pot shot over there, you know, over on uh, where Chung and those guys were, or you know, it was just a good throw by Eli. It was a great throw. Perfect. It was a perfect throw. The Manningham play. Or, yeah, it's one of yeah. the great underrated plays in Super Bowl history. And like even the you know West on the drop ball, and like everyone thinks about those plays, but at the same time, it's like man, there are so many plays. Like the the forced fumble, I forced a fumble in that game. We didn't get it back. Right. It was just the ball wasn't bouncing our way, and it. it I don't want to say it haunts me, but I do. I, I do think about that game, and as a player, you think about the next the Super Bowl that I was a part of. I wasn't a part of. I was I was hurt. I got hurt in 2015. So um, lost to 2011. Now I have to win one as as a head coach. Hopefully. <laughs> so, but you mentioned that I was going to ask you. You know, is, was the was 49 bittersweet for you? It. Uh, I don't want to say bittersweet because you know you're. Do you, do you still feel like a lot of people are injured? Say, man, I don't feel like I'm part of. The I team. was still I'm part a dead of the man. team. And one of the rare things. Correct me if I'm wrong on this. Like most of the guys that are injured. You are dead. That's you, right. You never see those guys. That's right. Bill knew that there was something special about you. And I was he one of the first people that – this guy was on the sideline during – I remember being yeah. on the sideline yeah, of that game. Traveling. That's, yeah. that's a rarity at that point in time, wasn't it, Jerome? Yeah, it was. And I would say – and I was also a part of those – you know, I was breaking down film and, you know, getting with Steve and, you know – you know, ever since I got hurt, it was, and I did it three years in a row. Because <laughs> you think about it, I was hurt three right. years in a row right. at various at various times. But I never wanted to be the guy who just bailed out on the team, especially after being voted captain. You know, seven out of eight years, you know, by your peers. And so for me, it was always like I'm here to support as much as possible. I know the coaches have a lot of things to do. I know the defense probably just as well as some of these coaches. You know, not no shot to anyone, but I've, I've done it for a while. And, you know, I would have those – I would run meetings with those guys. I would, you know, talk ball with them all the time. And it was it was sweet. It was There was no bitterness. You know, obviously I wanted to play the game, but it was uh, it was good to get one. How about some of the players that you, you went against? You know, some of, the, some of the teams, some of the rivalries. Just when you were talking about the 11 team, yeah. my mind went right to the Baltimore game. Sure. Oh. You know, like what, what are some of the, the games that you remember yeah. the most, some of the players that you remember most going against? Yeah, the, the ball – you know, anytime you play a team like – that whole division really is like Baltimore, Cleveland, Pittsburgh. It's like you know it's going to be a physical game, especially back then when teams oh, yeah. had fullbacks. And that's, that's back when the Jets were pretty good as right, well. Right. So the Jets had great defense. They had, you know, they also had a fullback as well. So you knew that was going to be a tough game uh, each and every week. When I think about players, though, um, where I'm like, wow, man, that guy is very good. I think about Tony Gonzalez, all right, when we played him uh, down in Atlanta, and we could not stop him. Correct. It didn't matter. It was like we put uh, – I want to say we put Jamie on him and couldn't stop him. I was on him. Even when I'm in position, couldn't stop him. And so was Talib on Talib him? Talib was on him. Yeah, Talib ended up having to check him because right. this guy, this is I mean, he's an old man at this point, too. Right. But he was just a freak of nature. 
And at the if you watch the end of that game, Jamie and I are pretty much vicing them. Like we're side by side for that's why they changed the rule now. You can't have you know two sets of uh, hands on a guy at the same time. Like you can't just vice a guy up. But we just straight doubled them at the line of scrimmage on this, at the same level. And so they end up changing the rule after that. But man, that guy was uh, he was good. Another guy who people don't often talk about, but had a had an unbelievable year was Peyton Hillis. Remember that Cleveland? Oh, game? I remember oh, that game. Yeah. And then he was on That's the, the Peyton. We, we name all the yeah, games the here. Peyton I don't know game. if you know this. That was the Peyton Hillis game. Right. <laughs> it was. I knew that was going to be. A, and look, I played him before, and it wasn't the same. It wasn't like that. No, he had one of those. One of those days. I don't know what. No, he had one of those years. Right. Yeah. He had one of those years, and you know, my thing was like, man, this, you know, Brandon Spikes, one of the hardest hitting guys I've ever been around. Like, if he was, if he was going to get you, he was going to get you, and so. A guy who wasn't strong in the weight room, but a guy who had a lot of pop on the field. And I still remember, it was like the first quarter, and Spikes had a clean hit at him. And I don't even think he saw Spikes. And I saw Spikes just fall to the ground. I was like, oh, Uh-oh. shoot. <laughs> it's going to be a long, a long day. I went in with a form tackle, just rolled him up, just like, you know, forget it. But I knew right there it was going to be a long day. Then we got hit with the fumble ruski yep. in the same game. Yep. It was just, that was tough. That was tough. That was a bizarre game. Yeah, it was very. It, it wasn't often that you got blown out ever, no but doubt. particularly by a bad team. Right. Um, I would say also like anytime we played Peyton, it was always like you know that game was a big deal. You know Peyton Manning, yeah. a, a guy who's just we, for you the quarterback on the defensive side, yeah, and him on the other side. Did you get geeked up for that? Like you know what? Let me let me see what I can do against him because this guy. He's the real deal on the other side. Uh, I want to try to match up with that. Absolutely. And I would say I had the benefit of going against Tom every day in practice. And Tom and I had multiple battles of, you know, talking crap across the line of scrimmage in practice. And we had a lot of fun with it. (laughs) This brings up a great (laughs) – I don't know if you'll remember this. Okay. But I know Tom does because Tom was mad at me for like two years. So during training camp one year, these two, Gerard and Tom – Go head to head, and they're in each other's face, and we put it on the cover of the paper. You know, hot, hot, hot. You know, training camp. It's you know, tempers are flaring. Tom was not happy. Oh, you, I you let we we. I I both I went to both of them individually, and I apologize. Yeah. I, I didn't mean nah, like right. that. You guys really fought. Like if you read this, like we right. never once, you know, uh, sort of implied that you guys were really fighting. It was just yeah. it was a good, nature. It was, it was a great photo. Yeah, it was you guys doing exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Getting the best of each other from a competitive standpoint, Tom was not happy. <laughs> you let, you he, did exactly what you just hey, did right there when I said, hey, I apologize. Yeah, you like, like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't worry about it. Yeah. Tom looked at me like he wanted to stab me. Hmm. Like he, he, was has so that, mad. he has that image to maintain, the angel exactly. ones, You know what I mean? He can't be. I'll tell you a funny Tom story. Like, you know, he, he's, he's a great competitor and – you know the quarterback position is is a very weird position. Like you're you're protected by five three hundred plus pound guys. You're protected by play calls. You know get the ball out quick, and you're protected by the referees. Right. And so it's a very interesting position. And usually those guys don't walk around like headbutting just guys pregame. And so I'm sitting there. You know, and Tom and I we always chatted up. You know, pregame. I'm on the sideline. No, you know how we do, uh, we kick the field goal at the end? Yes. And so we're just out there. I have my helmet on. It's unbuckled. Don't have my mouthpiece in. I'm ready to go in. And Tom, uh, I hear my name, Mayo. I turn around, and it's Tom, and he headbutts me. Splits my tooth right down oh, the middle. Geez, geez. Right, I'm talking 10 minutes before the game. Split, And I'm so pissed. I'm so pissed because my tooth is split down the middle. 
and you know, going this way, going straight across. And so I'm like, you know, I go out there, I have a great game, right? Because I'm pissed off the whole game. And afterwards, I'm like, Tom, you're buying me a new set of teeth, and you're yeah, you're paying for Smart. it. And I want to go to your dentist. I haven't I haven't uh, cashed in yet. I will <laughs> though soon. So uh, <laughs> this is before your time a little bit, and I don't know if you've ever seen the footage. Paul will remember this. I, I certainly in Super Bowl Thirty Nine. And I think he did it for many regular season games. It was Tom and Daniel Graham. Daniel Graham. Oh, Dan Graham. Pre-game. Pre-game. Yeah. And Tom would grab him by the face mask, and they would repeatedly butt heads. Oh, now, man. clearly at some point in time, Simi said, dude, what are you doing? Like, this isn't <laughs> like this isn't great. And he, right. he changed. But it was a pregame routine. He and Graham would literally. I remember it well, yeah. yeah. Bang helmets before they ran out in the field. Oh, man. No, you'd never see anybody do that today. No, nah, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you real quick, you mentioned the games against Peyton being a little special, and I just, you talked about the situational stuff, the famous fourth and two, uh, I think it was 09. 09. Um, just as a defensive player, uh, was there even a part of you that was like, Bill, what do you do? We can we, we can stop them. What are we doing? Man, you know, honestly, like it's easy to second guess those decisions, you know, that decision, you know, whether to take the ball or not take the ball. It's easy to second guess those decisions. Sometimes we would go out there, we would, you know, be on fire. It's like this is why – this is my problem. I shouldn't say problem, but this is like the pushback or other side of the coin with the analytics thing, which is a huge piece now. Right. All the owners want to talk about – Oh, everybody analytics. would go for it now. Yeah, that's everybody right. would go for they that. Want, exactly. Right. But there's also a flow to the game that you have to feel like who's – you know Exactly. Who's playing well, who's playing poorly. Like where's, where's the momentum? Like what's the weather? Like all those things had to be taken into account on those decisions. And, and honestly, I never really second-guessed. I shouldn't say never because there's always times where you get together with the group you're like, man, I wish I had the opportunity, especially if it didn't work out. It's like I wish I had the opportunity to go out there and you know make a play, but it is what it is. So uh, I, I, got, I got two here for you, and then we can wrap this thing up. You know, you said this you're going into your fourth year of coaching, right? Yep. In your first year, maybe even your second year, I don't know, maybe even today, when you see something go out in the field, do you ever have an inkling like, damn, man, I could still make that play. Let me go out there and make that play. <laughs> was there a tough transition when you first started coaching to going, I can give him 15 snaps. This moron isn't where I need him to be. Let me do it. I always, you know, those those thoughts always come in my head. Then I'm like, man, I feel great on Monday. So <laughs> they quickly go out. You're not like your buddy, your, your hard old buddy, your Vrabel putting the stuff nah, on Nah, nah. He was doing yeah, that. He I think he did that. it in Nashville yeah. when we were there a right. couple, I, I, couple I, years I do ago. things like that, but as far as just, you know, honestly, like on Mondays, it's just like, man. I'm kind of sore. Like, I feel great. I feel and, great. And I work out, you know, how I want to work out, when I want to work out. I'm not worried about anything. So, And you mentioned earlier in this conversation, Gerard, you were talking about diversity. And you're saying, you know, it's not just a skin thing. You know, it's a – there's generational diversity. There's everything like that. You're in a unique position where this is a big topic of conversation on an enormous platform. Do you feel – this is my word, so I don't want to put words in your mouth – do you feel encouraged that this is being at least addressed and there's an attempt to try to do this to fix wrongs where, yes, the focus might be on skin color at this point in time, but I, I loved what you said about generational diversity. And diversity of thought. Diversity I of like thought. That, like that phrase. We shouldn't dislike each other if I say it's cloudy out and you go, no, man, it's sunny out. <laughs> right. like, I'm entitled to my opinion. You're entitled to your opinion. Absolutely. Do you see that it maybe it's only in the infant stages that progress is at least trying, or there's an attempt at trying to make progress. Yeah, I definitely think, you know, uh, the thought is definitely there. I think it's top of mind, not only for coaches, but also owners. Um, 
there's still a lot of work that has to be done. And I would say some of these guys, you know, minority coaches in general, even when they became head coaches, the stick was so short that it was like the leash was so tight. They really didn't have an opportunity. Like, and this is why you're starting to see a lot of people go to this whole, you know, forget the draft mentality because the pressure to win right now is so high. No matter if you're white or black or, or, right. or Asian, it doesn't matter. It's so high that people are like, you know, like forget the draft. We need to win now. But I would say look at what happened in Cincy, right, versus, you know, with, with Zach. Look at that situation versus with like Vance Joseph. Or, you know, any of those guys. Like, one year, and it's like, boom, done. Now, Zach, Zach's in the Super Bowl <laughs> with Cincy. Nice. And so he had time. He had time. And the expectation in Cincy, obviously, is a little different than other cities uh, in the country. But at the same time, I would say the leash was just different. I, my heart goes out more to – look, this is only my fourth year coaching, and I understand I'm very fortunate to even get the interviews that I've had to this point. Uh, I've had, uh, what, Three interviews. I've had three interviews uh, in three years, right? Three interviews in three years. I feel very fortunate to have those interviews. I, I learned a ton, uh, met a, a bunch of great people. I, w- I feel bad for guys like Leslie Frazier. You know, I feel guys, I feel bad for guys, uh, even, you know, Todd Bowles. Now he's getting an opportunity, but I was feeling bad for him as well. Those coaches who, it's like, what else do they have to do to prove? And look, I don't know these men, I, I've met them but I don't know them off the field or anything like that. But if you were just to, you know, strip strip the color, all that stuff away and just put resumes up, like their resume is pretty – they have some strong resumes, right? And so if you think about it that way, and I know uh, some Fortune 500 companies, they have some, you know, some things to kind of remove biases from uh, applicants, like whether it's color or gender, uh, age, they remove them from the resumes. You, you guys heard about this before? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so they remove them to try to, you know, try to remove biases. You know, you would hope that the league would get to a point where they're just going to hire the best person. And honestly, I don't want to be hired because I'm black. And I've said this time and time again. Like, don't hire me and don't bring me in for an interview just because I'm black. Bring me in for an interview because you're curious. Bring me in for an interview because you think I can lead your team uh, to a Super Bowl championship. And that's how I think about it. Um, I feel like I feel like I'm a good coach now. I feel like I have a long way to go. I feel like I have a long way to go as far as, you know, the X's and O's. But at the end of the day, this game comes down to the players. And I always say it, you know, players win games and coaches lose games. So if you can't get the players to really uh, perform for you, then it's on us as coaches. Did you enjoy playing? Did you enjoy your NFL days? Loved them. I loved my NFL days. I, you know, look, I'm still in the league now, you know, as, as, as a coach. I meant as a player, I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, as a player, I love those days. I love the camaraderie. I love being in the locker room with those guys. I love everything that we did on the field together. You know, obviously, there's sometimes where it's like, man, you know, it's 95 degrees. I am tired. But at the end of the day, anytime you get a group of people together that have one common goal, it's a beautiful thing. Whether we're talking about selling, you know, on a sales team, whether we're talking about, you know, a football team, a basketball, it doesn't matter. Anytime everyone is putting, you know, their ego aside, right? Because remember, like, ego is the enemy of all this stuff, right? If they put their ego aside and go after a common goal, and that's one thing around here, like, you can't have an ego in this building, right? It's, it's like one ego, that, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no. I'll, I'll be good, I'll stay out of that. Hey, no, you can't have an ego in this building, and – and honestly, we're, like you got to think about ego in general. Ego lives in the past and it lives in the future. Like, like we have to live for today, and that's what I'm all about: living for today and really just getting the guys to go out there and perform. Give me 
one signature Gerard Mayo play that you remember as your favorite? <sighs> a signature Gerard Mayo play. Oh, that, that's a tough one, man. I there are so many plays where even if it wasn't a tackle or anything like that, where I just you know smacked an offensive lineman because you know this guy was a Pro Bowl offensive lineman. They've been hyping him up the whole game. Um, you know, knocking this guy, like you know, hitting him uh, very hard. Or I'm trying to think. I've had favorite you know, a few game. Picks. Uh, it was if well. Was favorite one. game was that Washington game in 2012. Was it Washington? Eleven or twelve? And that's and that's a game and, that I remember a specific play about you, and that's yeah, why I thought and, and I, I thought say, I might have been teeing you up for that. Hey, down but there, but there, yeah, right? yeah, but I would say this: it wasn't even the play the night before I signed my contract extension. Oh, okay. And so that whole weekend, it was like, all right, fly to Washington. This is my hometown, like you know, the DMV area. Fly down there. I signed my contract the night before the game. I go out there and get a, a game you made a, big, you made a big hit yeah. to cause a turnover. No, I caught the pick. I caught the pick, the caught the pick yeah. to end the game. So that was a great that was a great time. You know, not just the game, but just that whole weekend. Fantastic conversation, Gerard. Really appreciate you. I uh, appreciate you guys having me. Appreciate your curiosity. Uh, appreciate, appreciate your curiosity. Gerard Mayer, our guest on this edition of the Pats in the Pats podcast. Thank you for downloading this podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Google Play, and everywhere else you listen. Like the show? Please rate and review us. Listener comments and ratings help keep us high in the podcast rankings so new listeners can find us. Be sure to check Patriots.com for more news and more podcasts.